1: From Cabernet to Mone. they're here to slay the art history babes.
2: Welcome to the podcast. I'm
0: Corey. I'm Ginny.
1: I'm Natalie. And I'm Jen. And we are the art history babes. Oh man, so we are in 2017 now. 2017! That's crazy. Um, we were just thinking... Just a little while ago about time. We only have two quarters left in our graduate program, y'all. Oh, That's so crazy. I'm a little bit afraid. I'm like, I don't like it. I kind of just want to be in grad school forever. <laughs> like, oh, just... God. Well, if I could, uh, oh, I mean, I know. It's just... It's just... If I could have the cool parts without yeah. all the, like, yeah. horrible, yeah. like, ah, oh, this paper's too, exactly. and it's horrible. If I could just
2: do grad school without, like... The papers, I right?
0: Mean, I yeah, like
1: hang just around. sit in, on be a TA. And- yeah, yeah. We yeah. have we have a friend that's kind of doing that. Yeah. She already she finished, and now she's just still a TA, and yeah. she's like, I'm having the best time of my life. <laughs>
0: she's reading so many books for leisure. She's reading
1: like like reading like <laughs> young adult, yeah, like fiction. Great. Yeah, that will be us. It will be us. It will be us. We'll be relaxing in Europe (gasps) reading young adult novels soon enough. See, I'm not gonna be relaxing in Europe. I'm gonna just be like, we gotta go! We gotta go! Like, I'm just (laughs) It's true. Like, we're gonna just wake up and just start drinking. Like, the whole time we're just gonna be on a bender and try to, like, chase, you know, keep the hangover at bay. Holy shit. I mean, that's how I... I I
0: don't know. I I I I don't know if that's gonna
1: Oh, come on, guys. Where's your sense of adventure? No, I. I'm
2: no, really- I just. All I'm saying is if I'm on a bender, like, I'm not going to want to adventure. I'm just going to, like, want to be drunk
1: at, like, a. You know what, instead of, like, going places and seeing things, you know? I've never been on a bender. Really? I'm I'm just kidding about that. Yeah. You've never
2: been on, like, any kind of bender
1: before? No, because the longest I can drink is probably, like, eight hours before I black out and ruin my life somehow. But, like, a
2: bender, like, if you're doing a multiple-day bender, you're not necessarily, like, drinking constantly. You're just, like...
1: So it's like. Consistently drinking. (laughs) Consistently (laughs) drinking. But you still sleep and you still like have a meal and you take breaks. I feel (laughs) like now I have to try to have a vendor. Oh god. Just to like see what it's like. I had I had one
2: in in undergrad I um, was living with well I was staying with my boyfriend at the time and he lived in a house with like all dudes and they partied all the time and that summer we did like a 10 day vendor. Whoa. Yeah. And by the end of
1: it. (laughs) By the end of it it was oh god it was so funny your skin was dripping off your face yeah Yeah, yeah,
2: probably we like it was so weird because it was so consistent that like at the end of it I didn't have a hangover none of us did we weren't hungover but we just hated everything right like we were just like Everything is terrible.
1: Ginny looks this disgusting. Is awful.
2: I mean, <laughs> I'm not recommending this, but it was an experience. Yeah, yeah, we're not. <laughs> I
1: feel like as soon as I get off this ridiculous diet, I am gonna go on a bender just, just like a weekend. Just like okay. a weekend bender. Weekend. That yeah. sounds like, like you, a don't wanna, you don't want to. You
2: don't want to pull a ten day bender while you're in. No, I, <laughs> I,
1: I cannot. Yeah, so the next couple of podcasts will be less of me yelling because I'm not imbibing um, with the rest of the girls. But You're it's drinking cool. Licorice tea. I got my Egyptian good. licorice tea, and it's very delicious. Yeah. So Yogi Tea sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. And and you get the little like messages. on the, uh, Oh uh, what yeah. Did you say? Um, let me read it little sample of uh the positive messages that come with yogi tea compassion is a state of constant giving for the self of the self for others
2: oh it is that's
1: nice. That is, nice that is nice be compassionate wow yeah good things thanks, yogi good things to remember in 2017 thanks yogi tea thanks for your organic tea do you guys do you guys do this i just daydream and I get oh, lost all the time. Of yeah. And I was just doing that, and I was just thinking, like, wow, you know, wouldn't that be so cool <laughs> if someone was just listening and was like, Psh, I'm going to send them a crate of wine, and we just get, like, a crate of, like, yeah. interesting wines. I mean, yeah. that would just be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Putting that out into the universe. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, so we're done asking for your money and your wine, <laughs> and we're going to... Jump right in. We're going to talk about Impressionism today. Impressionism. It's a huge, it's it's a giant topic, so we're not going to obviously cover everything, but uh, we thought it would be fun to do some of these, like, movement episodes and For just sure. talk about these big sort of moments in art history, so we'll try to do that a little bit more often, but right now I'm going to pass it on to Nat. Hey, hey, hey
3: impressionism as a movement is kind of like all of these art movement terms that we have where it's made up (laughs) by by, usually by art historians this one actually um, has a little bit more interesting of a story behind the title so beginning in 1874 there was a show in Paris and it was unusual for art exhibitions as they were generally run by academy or not academies. sorry salons where you would have a board of hoity-toity people who would pick the best of the best and kind of get to decide what is good art what should be displayed what's important yada yada you get a lot of history paintings which i don't know if we've talked about that a lot but um history paintings are um they're kind of like these idealized, glorified stories generally having to do with mythology or history right. or, you know, religion. They're very moralistic. They tend to be what people would call, like, quote-unquote realistic, but just, like, being as close to the natural world as a painter could get. So illusionism, um, trying to make it look really three-dimensional and crazy. 1874, this group, Artists Anonymous are a group of independent artists who decisively break away from the salon style exhibition. They come together and host a smaller exhibition, including themselves. I don't remember the exact number of artists, but it was a small group. Included names that you guys might know, such as Claude Monet, Edgar Degas, and Camille Pissarro, among others. And they just kind of wanted to stick it to this whole elitist academy salon style of art making and presenting. And the name Impressionist was nowhere to be found at this point, but came about uh, afterward when a critic named Louis Leroy wrote a scathing review about the show, and in particular, Monet's Impression Sunrise. Oh. So yeah, it's a beautiful painting. It's of a port. You can see the outlines of the ships, but it is very loose, painterly brushstrokes. I love that red sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, So it's love mostly it. cool colors, and then what is referring to is this bright orangish-red sun right in the center, and you get a beautiful reflection on the water. It's very, it's dreamy, it's beautiful, and Leroy wrote that it was he called it um, a mere impression, and impression is a term that, like, it loosely means sketch, so it's a sketch of a painting, and it was meant to be an insult, but the name stuck,
2: and this I, I feel f- like that happens a lot yeah. with right. movement names. It's
1: always meant to be, like, an insult, and then like, to we'll the, take it. That yeah. happens with the fauves, yeah, which are, a, like, a subset yeah. of Impressionism, and fobs being wild animals, yeah, they, wild, wild, wild beasts, beasts right? Yeah. And they were like, hell yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's That you. sounds badass. Thank you.
3: <laughs> yeah. So meant to be an insult, born into a movement, and they were meant to be impressions. This was intentional by the artist, but not in a like lazy manner. the The unfinished nature is supposed to reflect the momentary and kind of like the impression of that exact moment in place and time for that particular artist. So what they're really rebelling against is this idea that the Academy teaches a certain way to paint and that there are higher forms of painting and lower forms of painting and that there's a correct way to paint and there's a wrong way to paint and there's a lot of rules in place. And these artists are looking around at kind of a changing changing society, but also Paris in particular went through a lot of change around this time. Um, You have the Industrial Revolution, you have the emergence of a middle class, upper middle class, where a lot of these artists come from. They are just kind of wanting to rewrite the rules and paint what they perceive as their reality rather than what they're being told to paint in the academy. And um, it's really interesting. And I think that I don't know. I was not super well-versed in this time period of painting at all, or this movement, a few years ago. But it's super interesting once you kind of get all of the context. Because they do seem a little simple right off the bat, I would say. That might just be me. But um, if you understand the context and the position of these artists, it just it opens
2: a lot of interesting avenues to interpret these. I feel like a lot of Impressionist works, they seem like a mix of, like, genre paintings. Like, we talked about, like, Baroque genre paintings, and then, like, Romanticism. Like, right. come together.
1: Yeah. Into yeah. I think, mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that with the context, yeah, Impressionism does begin to make a lot of sense, just in the time period alone. So, like, Paris is undergoing these, like, rapid changes The city is trying to modernize. And so there's this swell of um, technological advances in Mm -hmm. industry. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of these artists said like, well, and there's a really good quote that I read in um, this book called The Lost World of the Impressionists that said, to hell with the civilized world, long live nature and old poetry. And so a bunch of these artists just decided to go out to the countryside and really wanted to Mm -hmm. sort of preserve the rapidly changing landscape. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we see this preoccupation with landscape and these sort of fleeting moments and Mm -hmm. because everything was changing very fast.
3: Yeah, and, and I don't know if you guys Baron Haussmann and his whole re-renovation oh, of yeah. Paris, so...
2: Haussmannization. Yeah, yeah, so
3: Hausman's new Paris, all of these buildings are being created in a new style of architecture, and it's just, there's a lot of change going on in
2: Paris at this time.
3: So, this uprise of the leisure class, and and what's interesting in relation to what Jen was saying, you do see a lot of like landscape and stuff but you also see a lot of urban landscape and you see like portraiture and it's interesting how while the style and kind of the frustration with the art scene at this time is reflected in all of these artists, they each hone into a different kind of like a different motif so like, I don't know, Degas was all about the ballerinas Mm -hmm. and then you get Monet was a lot more into nature and landscapes but then you get people like Calabote who are all about like the dandy and urban Paris so they each kind of like latch onto different things but have the same kind of general idea about how art should be created at this time and presented and understood and another important thing to realize is that they saw themselves as realists it's not like they were trying to do something like crazy radical with like loose brush strokes like make it abstract. This wasn't to them abstraction. It was them taking what they saw as their reality um, as contemporary Paris or wherever they may have been. Most of this took place in Paris. That's why we're kind of harping on that. Taking in their reality through their own impression and then putting it on the canvas. So if they were being modern,
2: but they weren't headed into abstractions
3: yet. They were far from that.
2: Well, there's like a lot of overlap between paintings that were considered realist paintings Mm -hmm. and impressionism like corbet Mm -hmm. is like widely considered a realist painter but he's also an important figure in impressionism so it's Kind of like this interesting, like, realism, and then what is considered one of the first forms of abstraction. Yeah. The idea mm-hmm. that they, like, overlap is kind of interesting. It is Same right.
1: with, like, Manet, which is why I think a lot of people freaked out about Manet in the beginning, because mm-hmm. um, he's, like, just bending the rules, where they're like, wait, this is different. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> wait, I don't
3: like this. <laughs> and while Manet was not considered an impressionist, he was not in the group, he um, is perceived by many people as, like, the forefather of the Impressionists. Mm-hmm. they A lot of the members of the Impressionist group looked to him. His most famous and scandalous of his paintings, <laughs> Olympia, which was painted in um, 1856, so about 20 years prior to the first Impressionist show, was a great example of this because it caused quite an uproar. If you're not familiar, we will post a picture, but it is a lady. Um, she's laying on a bed and she is completely nude and she is being handed a bouquet of flowers by her African maidservant in the background. She has a little courbet actually styled cat at the end of her bed that's fierce. This painting was really poorly received. There were like insanely scathing reviews. I don't know if you guys have read some of them but a long time ago yeah. yeah right yeah they said that she looked dead most people just likened her completely to a corpse they would talk about her
1: being in the morgue
3: to be her skin is a little bit yellowish
1: <laughs> yeah there's like a coldness to her skin and she's a lot more harshly okay so the problem is not that she's nude that's okay. That's been that's been, that's done. been done. Okay, yeah. the problem is not the nudity. My, yeah, the problem is the cold harshness of her nudity. So there are thick. Contours mm-hmm. that outline her body, so none of the sort of gauzy, sort right, of. Right. So, think of um, the grand odalisque who right. did that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who was that? Titian, uh, no, no, no. no, not no. Titian, uh, uh, yeah, Aang. yeah. So, so that kind of nudity is okay mm-hmm. because it's this. It's like a voyeuristic gaze. Yeah, like she's kind of looking back at you mm-hmm. like, oh, and uh, <laughs> like the, the body is very soft. Right, we right. get the impression that this woman has never stood up in her entire life. <laughs> yeah. The joints are vague and they might, she might have knees. We don't know. So that is the more acceptable salon nude, whereas Olympia, which is, the name even Olympia was like a parody of those um, right. other like Odalisque mm-hmm. paintings. Yeah. And what really struck many people about this painting is that many people were so freaked out by the fact that it looked like it could be a real high class prostitute yeah. that many of these men who are at the salon with their ladies, with their wives, are like, oh, shit, this looks like the broad I just visited in her apartment, like, two weeks ago, and, and so it was so, it was just too real, mm-hmm. and that, like, just freaked everybody out. It harshed it everyone's vibes. Yeah. Yeah,
3: exactly, <laughs> and, and on top of, like, the way that it's painted and everything, it's a direct reference to Titian's Venus of Urbino, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, yeah, we'll definitely. put both of them up, it's, a uh, Very obvious. It was very intentional. But there are, like, subtle differences, whereas, like, in Titian's Venus of Rubino, she's a goddess. She's Venus. (gasps) So, you know, that, right off the bat, makes it easier to digest. And then she's kind of, like, longingly looking at you, and she has a hand, like, draped, coyly by her genitalia, like, kind of covering it, but also kind of drawing attention to it, Mm -hmm. you know? In Olympia, she's... Sitting in a very similar position, but a little more rigid, and she's looking directly at the viewer, not in, like, an angry way, but definitely confrontational. Like, she's acknowledging that you you are looking at her, and mm-hmm. that hand, rather than being kind of, like, caressing her leg, is stiff gripping her leg and clearly like covering herself so there's just all of these really subtle differences where Manet's using the idea of the creative copy and referencing these paintings but also kind of hi- holding up a mirror to society and being like okay guys you know let's let's talk about this and he was a really clever dude he did it with a lot of other paintings we could do a whole mayonnaise episode
0: yeah and- talk about the cat.
3: Oh, the cat! Yeah. The cat's <laughs> that <fun>. damn cat. <laughs> so Titian's Venus of Urbino. There is a dog at the end of the bed, and not to get too far into it, but it was a painting made for um, a like a wedding gift for this the Duke of Urbino's new wife. So it's like filled with all of these kind of like subtle hints. Right. And a dog means fidelity, loyalty. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like, hey, look at that cute little sleeping puppy at the end of your painting. Yeah, you better stay loyal to me. <laughs> like and, a cute
2: little sleeping puppy.
3: Yeah, right? Aww. And you better be Aww. beautiful and sexy like a goddess. And <laughs> pure. Yeah, it's just, it's funny. Puppies. Um, it's, just, it's, just it's just soft
1: and non-threatening. And <laughs> <laughs> There's a puppy and, aw.
0: He just loves
3: so, you. <laughs> so Manet instead takes the puppy out and he puts this arched, black, cartoonish cat. Like, it's it's almost like comical. The cat like, is
1: pissed. Yeah, it is. The cat's like, Ring, get out of here! Yeah. And it's like, it's, I never even noticed the cat for years. And then I finally saw, like, a good resolution picture <laughs> yeah, of the painting. Right? And I was like, look at that cat! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you guys can,
3: I me. you can... Kind of figure out the tongue in cheek reference there. Like, cat, you know. It's not even really like pure symbolism. Like, it's more just like kind of a joking, haha. So, I don't want to put words in mayonnaise mouth
2: or brush or however you want to say and, it. And I mean, just in general, like, cats represent something very different than dogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: really. They're.
2: So much more
1: fierce and independent. They're wild. And, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they kind of come into your house sometimes. <laughs> for the most part, they're out there killing stuff. And for the longest time, I think cats were, like, associated with, like, evil. Oh, and whatnot. Yeah. They still so kind of are in, like, sometimes. Europe, you know. That yeah. was, like, a whole thing.
3: And it's a black cat, you know. Associated mm-hmm. with cat? witches. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's the maybe devil. Maybe Olympia was <laughs> a witch.
1: <laughs> that is... The devil. That's the devil. Oh, my
3: God. Yeah, so that painting just caused a stir, but is still, like, crazy talked about nowadays. It's just... Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's not going away anytime soon, so... No one
1: will shut up about it. I don't want to shut up about (laughs) it. Yeah, I want to just just keep talking (laughs) about Olympia and her... I like her cute little uh, choker. Yeah, right. seriously, yeah. she's got the choker. She's got the choker that every girl wears now. Yeah, Olympia. I pointed that out to my students. She self-care. did it first.
0: Yep, <laughs> she did. Honestly, I never thought about that. I didn't before. either. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm gonna think about that every time I wear my little crystal choker now. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just like
1: Olympia. Yeah. Olympia.
2: So everyone who's posting selfies with your chokers,
3: hashtag Olympia. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm gonna pass it off to Corey, who's gonna talk about one of the other amazing aspects of the Impressionists, uh, which is that women were highly what? involved in the movement. Not just like you know, like you look at the Baroque and like yeah, Artemisia Gentileschi was doing stuff, but like no, She's these women so in were, were involved <laughs> very much so in this movement. And it's fucking awesome.
2: Yeah, ladies. So I'm just going to talk briefly about a very important lady artist who we will also, I'm sure, do an entire episode on at some oh, point. Well, we gotta. We gotta do it. Mary Cassatt. She's a big deal. Man, she's such a babe. She is. Mary Cassatt was originally from Pittsburgh, um, and she trained at the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts in Philadelphia. In 1873, she moved to Paris and meets Degas, which kind of gets her into this Impressionist circle. Yeah, she meets Degas in 1877 and then exhibits with the Impressionists from 1879 to 1886. So for a good amount of time, she's hanging out with the whole Impressionist circle. She is often known for her representations of mothers and children together, which is a really important thing to be just representing that yeah. doesn't get enough representation, I think, in art history up until this point. Like just yeah. the, the sensitive bond like between mother and child. And... It's
1: like a rare theme, which yeah. is weird. Right? Actually. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know why. Oh, mm-hmm. well, I I know why.
2: <laughs> Mothers and daughters. It's uh, <laughs> you know the patriarchy. But uh, <laughs> they are. They're so scared of the lady power. Um <laughs> that
1: wandering uterus. <laughs> But yeah,
2: so she's known for representations of mothers and children, which are very beautiful. And they are. They're very sensitive. They're usually representing kind of intimate moments between mothers and children. I'm going to talk about one of her most well-known paintings called In the Loge, also referred to as A Woman in Black at the Opera. Ooh, the loge. The loge. That's what the loge is. is I
0: love that painting so much.
2: (laughs) Oh. The Loge is an opera house, and this painting was painted in 1880, wow. and it is currently housed at uh, the Museum of Fine Arts, of Boston, which is an institution I feel like I need to go to because I right I feel like You're so good. much is there. Like yeah. yes. I
1: always end up citing it somehow. Yeah, right. <laughs> so
2: <much laughs> gotta, gotta go, gotta go sometime. We'll we'll hit up Boston eventually. Yeah. Get some cannoli. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can't wait!
2: <laughs> it's gonna be great. Okay, so some context for this painting: the Paris Opera opened a new building in 1875. When this happened, the Opera House soon became a favorite subject of the Impressionists. In addition to Mary Cassatt, uh, Renoir, Degas, and Manet all painted scenes from the Opera House. And this was because the Paris Opera was uh, one Mm -hmm. of the only public places that women could attend freely Mm -hmm. and kind of observe social life. Like you didn't need to be in the company of a man to go to the Opera House. Likewise, when you think opera, you think it's all elite. And like the elite people were definitely there and were definitely like showing off that they were there. But Really, people of all, like, classes were yeah. welcome. They had plebeian seats, for yeah, sure. Yeah, probably. So, really, you're going to see a whole array of people. You kind of have this, like, breakdown of the social order, almost. It's like, a
1: spectacle. Yeah. It's, yeah. like,
2: all people going to the opera house. Right. So, this makes it really good, like, fodder for artwork because you have all these different kinds of people interacting talking, looking at each other, like just behaving in the same place, which wasn't a thing that happened a lot yeah. at the time. Oh, have
1: you seen Johnson with his new mistress? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <Sandal>. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know why his name is Johnson. Yeah, no, I was like, I don't know, <laughs> so friends. John Sond. P- Pierre Johnson.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, but so so the opera house was a really interesting place just in terms of like voyeurism because you had so many different types of people and it really allowed the artist to examine both the observer and the observed, like interacting in this very interesting way. Likewise, like I said, it was a place for the elite and it was a place in which young ladies of a certain class would be, like, judged in this setting as, like, whether they're, like, marriable or, you know, like, if you were in an, if you were a young lady in an elite class, you were supposed to present yourself a certain way at the opera, right? So, like, it was still a place for, like, the male gaze, essentially. Absolutely. um, For men to you know look at women and and deem them worthy basically so what's so great about this painting is that uh Cassatt is basically like turning the tables here because what you have is an image of a woman gazing out at the opera house but it's before the opera's even started so you're you already have this connotation of like the social aspect of the opera house and she's by herself and she's this this mature but very like just like striking like well-dressed woman and she's like the main the main subject of the painting and she's gazing out through the little like opera binoculars and she's just looking out at people so you have this flip of like the observed is becoming the observer right and it's like putting into the control of the woman which is interesting this guy yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got to talk
1: about the guy yes
2: mm-hmm. um okay so in then it in the background like so the main focus is this woman, like she's up close. And then in the background you kind of see a few people, but it's the impressionist style. So you can't really see their faces. The brushwork kind of blends together. Though the main woman is the only one you can really make out details of. But you can see some people in the background and there is an individual that's clearly a male that is gazing directly back at the woman who's looking outward so you like I said you have this really interesting interplay of like who's looking at who right yeah and I...
1: she's not looking at him yeah she, she's ew, looking somewhere hair. else <laughs> like she just doesn't, doesn't give a shit yeah. she doesn't give a shit about this guy <laughs> like she's not she doesn't even know that he exists Where doesn't
0: he look like a little worm to you guys yeah, yeah. hair he and he he's kind of like yeah. shaped like a worm
1: he's got ground. like no hair and what I love about his body language is that his arm is kind of like holding on to something and there what looks like another woman next to him so he's like grabbing on to the chair and he's almost like hanging mm-hmm. out of the balcony yeah trying to get a good look at this babe he's just like oh my
2: god his body is totally turned away from like
3: from the
0: actual from like the stage yeah. Exactly.
3: and hers is My favorite part is hers is then turned away from him. Right. So the hand that she's using to hold the binoculars is actually, like,
1: blocking him out. Right. (laughs) Right. That's why he's, like, about to fall out of the damn balcony trying (laughs) to get a look at her with his little binoculars. And it's just so funny. It's, It's really well put together. Oh, yeah.
2: It's great. It's super smart. And it's just, like, and the colors are beautiful. It's got this color palette of, like, Dark reds and black and then like some cream colors mm-hmm. to lighten like, it up. It's, it's like rich. a like a rich yeah. mahogany. For real. No, it's beautiful. Also, this book that we're looking at right now is super cool. I got it really cheap at Barnes and Noble. And it's called The Impressionists by Diana Nawal. Art in Detail. Art in Detail. Oh
0: dude! I have another book by her that's fantastic. She is very cool. <laughs> she is cool. <laughs> <laughs> She, cool. you heard it here. She's cool. <laughs> she is cool. <laughs> Diana all. Yeah, cuz she does art those history, great, Like details zooms yeah. of
1: different there's works these, of there's art. There's these it's cool great. little like circles cut out yeah. to like highlight I'm to like zoom in and then she breaks her. down every painting she looks yes. at. She
2: totally breaks down the color palette. It's the coolest. And like it's not just like your typical textbook where you just have the image and then they say some stuff. The images she talks about, she goes in detail and you have repeated images and like details and it's just, it's a really cool
0: book. That is super cool. I want more. I want,
1: I want these. I want more I'm to of go these. find some. What,
0: what, do you know what kind of book you have by her? So, it's a massive book, and it's called the book itself is called Art in Detail. Oh, nice. Um, That's cool. So it's hardcover, super huge, and it covers like various periods all kinds of artists, and it will do that same thing where it zooms in on different aspects, talks about the color, composition. I'll bring it for, I'm sure I'll use it for plenty of episodes.
1: So dope.
2: Diana Nawal, check her out. She's awesome.
0: So that's all
2: I really got to say about Mary Cassatt right now. I'm going to pass it over to Ginny. She's going to talk about another
0: badass lady impressionist. Lady. Yes, yes, yes. So a contemporary of Mary Cassatt is my girl, Bert Morissel. Morisot? Morisot. You got it. Beautiful. French is tricky for me. (laughs) It's tricky for everybody. (laughs) That's a rough one. So Bert was born in 1841 in France, and she began her kind of training in art as taking drawing lessons with her sisters in Paris. And she was taught by um, the artist Joseph Guichard, Guichard, Sorry, we'll we'll have it on the website. It's Guichard. <laughs> Guichard. French is hard. I'm so sorry. Um,
1: sorry, Joseph.
0: She also copied landscapes of the artist Camille Corot and did a lot with the kind of plein air uh, painting style. And so, in 1867, she met. Manet and became a part of his kind of like inner circle of artists, including Pissarro, Degas, Cezanne, Sisley, Monet, and Renoir. She also sat for Manet in some of his paintings. One of them includes Les Repos, and she was very highly criticized for the way that she looked in this painting. And we'll put an image up of it on the website and I actually have it pulled up on my phone so you guys can see it too. But she was called the queen of slovenliness. <laughs> oh my god. She that so doesn't, damn
3: about she doesn't
0: that. look that way at all yeah. and they were saying that what? she wasn't moral. <laughs> I lay like that <laughs> every single day of my life. She, she just looks, looks
1: fine. She doesn't look slovenly at all. She's just chilling. Yeah. She yeah, she looks. She honestly she, looks bored. Yeah,
0: she just looks slightly relaxed
1: like yeah. that's... How she look dare like, she! I know,
0: right? But haters were hating, and but that didn't get Dang Bert it. down because Bert was. She just kept plugging. So she painted largely everyday scenes and portraits. In 1874, she had nine paintings in the first Impressionist exhibition. And she continued to show at the following exhibitions until about 1886. So she was very, very present in the Impressionist exhibitions and kind of the Impressionist movement as a whole. She had a painting from 1873, which is just simply called Reading, which is a lovely painting of a woman reading in some kind of like very bucolic countryside park kind of environment. And on the one hand, it was praised for her work with light and color. On the other hand, she was pretty much consistently harshly criticized by various art critics in France at the time. But like I said, she really just continued to plug ahead and put out a lot of paintings in her lifetime. And her first solo show was in 1892, and it was very successful. And then unfortunately, she died in 1895 of pneumonia. So I think in many ways, she was cut short from perhaps having an even more prolific career. But she is just another of the lady impressionists that is very cool. We'll post some more paintings of hers for you to check out. But um, just wanted to give a little shout out to Bert. For you, Bert. <laughs>
1: oh, man. Yeah. That's so sad. Jeez. I know. You know, I think there's something that we kind of, like, haven't discussed. Like, we sort of, well, I mean, we did. We sort of touched on it. But, like, this whole idea of the the bourgeois lifestyle really comes through in almost every Impressionist work. So, Definitely. like, Renoir, all of his, like, oh, the parties. Like, we're just having these fancy... Parties and luncheons. Everyone's just having luncheons <laughs> on <Yes>. the grass. <laughs> like They're going to the opera. Yeah. Um, Everyone oh. has their nice hats. Yeah, and ribbons. You know, a little, a couple years back, I read this super just creepy article about Daga. And the way that he painted these ballerinas. Degas
2: is hella problematic.
1: Ooh, Degas. (laughs) Right up there with my boy Gauguin. Uh. Oh. So, oh. (laughs) Collective groan. One thing that's really important to remember about the world of the Impressionists is that they are painting in this sort of new, like, the the, the bourgeois are this quote-unquote middle-class that arises around the time of the Industrial Revolution Mm -hmm. in all over Europe. And so they're not royalty. They're new money, essentially. And so these people are living this just fancy pants lifestyle all the time. And so what comes through a lot are these um, images of leisure and, um, these images of, like, spectacle, and yeah. it's like a spectacle of a spectacle, and so, yeah, I feel like, I wasn't gonna talk about dagob but I just want to, because <laughs> we he's- We should, I mean, we should definitely do an episode on him, because I have, like, a really
2: weird- you know, problematic fave type situation with him because, like, I'm a dancer. And so I like, I always connected with images of dan of, like, his images of dancers. Yeah. And then I found out more about him, and I was like, God
1: damn it. You know? Yeah, yeah. So look look forward to a, a problematic, problematic boys. Uh, our, <laughs> oh, my God. Our, just... We're going to call it that. We're going to call it the, the problematic bays of... of problematic ass boys. <laughs> problematic <laughs> Ass, Ass boys, problematic posse. Problematic. Yeah, problematic. So far we have. Yeah, yeah. So the fuck boys of art history. <laughs> oh, oh, that's gonna be it. Okay, but yeah, just I don't know. Da Um If you ever look at any of his paintings of the ballerinas, he paints them like baby horses. Like they just look like animals, and it's really interesting because of how these women were usually lower class. Mm-hmm. They were usually the line between dancer and prostitute was very thin these older rich men the richer you were the more access you had like behind the curtain and Degas back there. Yeah. You know what's Degas doing back there? What are you there? doing back there? Dude, <laughs> like we're getting this like sort of in the background sort of like mm-hmm. voyeuristic viewpoint, but it's his viewpoint. Yeah. Ugh. We're just going to move over quickly talk about another really important figure in the world of the impressionists, which was Claude Monet. We already discussed him a little bit in the beginning. Monet was born November 14th of 1840. Okay. Yeah. Scorpio, babe. Yep. So um, his father had been a sailor and then later would go on to manage the marine stores of his half-sister. So he's got some money. Um, And so the young Claude had a very comfortable, happy childhood He was fascinated by the harbor and ships and especially enjoyed the world of caricature. So um, he's a happy child until his mom died when he was 17. And then he's not so happy anymore. He decides that he loves to paint. And with some money from caricatures that he sold and a small loan from his father, he arrives in Paris in 1859 And there he hooks up with uh, many of the other artists of the time. So like Camille Pissarro, Edgar Degas, he hangs out with Renoir. Renoir's a good friend of his. So he's among this group. And so he quickly learns just what kind of themes are preoccupying the other artists. And he is a fast learner. And pretty soon, he's having a great time in Paris a little bit more about his life. In 1861, he had to leave Paris because um, every French man at this time, do they still do this? They have a mandatory military service.
2: I'm not sure.
1: So oh. he was going to ask his dad to bail him out because you could just <laughs> buy your way out of it, <laughs> yeah. apparently. Um, oh. But then he found out that his dad knocked up a 19-year-old. Oh, And he was so mad Daddy said, "Fuck you!" and decided to leave in anger, and ended up in <laughs> Algeria. Understand. He was pissed. He's like, you know what, Dad? I'm gonna go to Algeria. She's only
0: two years older than me, Dad. Or was she younger than I think?
1: Mother? I think that she was definitely younger than him. Oh, creepy. That's rough. So he gets mad. He goes to Algeria, and uh, in Algeria, he gets sick, and then his aunt <laughs> buys him out. So he's kind <laughs> of um, like a spoiled boy. And so he comes back and, and he's in Paris. And so he really starts to get really interested in this world of the countryside. And so, like I said earlier, all these artists got disenchanted with the mm. city. So housemanizations going on, which sounds cool,
0: right? But it's not. <laughs> we it's we not should cool. do an episode on housemanization. Oh my
1: god, it's pretty rough. So, just imagine, you know, the inner city that we know of inner cities, right? There's usually a lot of poverty. So, Houseman just, like, uproots all these poor people and, like, kicks them out. And is like, we're going to make grand avenues right where your house used to be. Yeah, no, aesthetically, (coughs) great idea, but when actually implemented... Big problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So many of these artists leave, they head for the countryside, they go the, a popular locale was uh Fontaine bleu. I'm not pronouncing it <laughs> right. Music. Thank you. I know. thought that was great. That's like yeah, my wow, that's like good. my phony French accent that works sometimes. Yeah. It's crazy. Bleu. 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 Okay. <laughs> so um, and he goes out there with Renoir, his friend Basile, and an artist named Alfred Sisley from England who had very bad luck. Um, We're not going to get into his life because it's miserable, but it was just sad. And look him up. It's, It's just sad. So Monet is so... Inspired by a mayonnaise luncheon on the grass, that he decides he's going to make a luncheon on the grass. All right, we talked about this luncheon You think you could paint a yeah. luncheon on the grass? <coughs> he's like, I'm going to paint a luncheon <laughs> on the grass. And so he spends weeks and weeks and weeks studying the countryside, finding the perfect light. He finds it. It's great. He starts painting it. He's it's huge. He says it's going to be four meters by six meters. It's going to be a giant. You are going to be luncheon. at that lunch it's gonna be a larger than life lunch (laughs) and he's so excited and he's making this painting and then he's he's in the studio okay so so, side note Monet was like constantly spending money like recklessly and he would be in debt like several times in his life so he's broke he is doing this giant painting in his friend Basile's studio, or Basile, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, whatever. So, he's working on this painting, and Gustave Corbet shows up, and is like, hey, 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 how's the painting going? <laughs> and he criticizes Monet's um, choice of light, and, and he, he's criticizing him. And so, Monet gets so depressed <laughs> by these negative comments by Courbet. And so, mind you, Manet and Courbet are sort of these people that these later Impressionists, like, the Impressionists, like, really admire. Yeah. And so to have, you know, Courbet be like yo this looks whack (laughs) um is rough (laughs) so so monet becomes so depressed that he ends up just having to sell the studies for this giant painting just so that he can pay his rent and uh, and he gives up on it you can still see the remnants of this painting so he
3: didn't part of it get water damaged? Yes. Like he, had yes. To, he, he used it like bartering tool with mm-hmm. his uh, landlord, landlord. Yeah. yeah, and then it got water damaged mm-hmm. and destroyed like half of it. Right. Uh, so so it you has... can see it in pieces. Exactly. <laughs> so if you
1: go to the Musée d'Orsay in France, you can see two pieces of this painting. So Monet gave it to him, the landlord rolled it up, put it away and it got moldy. And so he came back, he said, damn it, in 1884 and he cut it up into three different pieces. One piece got lost, but two pieces exist so you can still see it today. And it's great, it's huge. And it's, it's really beautiful. And so I can only imagine what the final painting would have looked like. Anyway, so that was his first uh, grand project that went to shit. Thanks, Corbet. <laughs> Um, But what he's most famous for are his water lilies. And the water lilies are a good place to wrap up sort of our segue into Impressionism. Because the water lilies, he starts to do something a little bit different. And so really... Many people have attributed Monet's water lilies as the birth of modern art. That is debatable, but for the purposes of my little segue here, um, that that works. (laughs) We're going with that. (laughs) Yeah, so, um, you know, it's later in his life, and Monet is fighting against just overwhelming uh, material and moral difficulties, which really were like a lot of his life was this way. And so by 1879, he's exhausted. His wife, Camille, she had a very long illness that left him just bankrupt. And then she died. And so it was like, damn it. So they don't know what it was. Tuberculosis. Some people say pelvic cancer. I I read something about a botched abortion. I don't know. Whoa. But she leaves behind two children. One was only 18 months old. And he's living with this other couple. And then... All of a sudden, the husband of the other couple dies, and he ends up marrying the woman. Sure, and why not? So hey. whatever, right? It just worked out. Yeah, make the um, best that of the bad. Yeah, like situation. okay, yeah. like shit, our like spouses died. Let's get married, and so they do. And, and her name is Alice, and she seems like um like she made him happy, and she sounds lovely. In 1883, Monet moves to Giverny, which is a pastoral place in France. It's pretty. And it's right off of the the Seine. It's the River Seine. Is it Seine? Seine. Seine. The River Seine. And it's beautiful. And so that is where Monet starts to make some of his, like, most famous works. And he Mm. starts to get famous. And he starts to make money. So in 1892, he finally experiences some fame. He paints the Rouen Cathedral, which is a very famous Monet, the Haystacks, and his Poplar series. So he's tremendously successful. He makes 9,000 francs, which is a lot for homie <laughs> who has been in debt and broke his whole life. With that money, he decides to make his own garden. And the garden is still there. You can still see it at Giverny. Oh, and I would it, love to see it. I know. That. It's so pretty. He—it's crazy. There was there's a river nearby called the River Epte or Ept. I don't know. And he decided to divert a little arm of the river, and he made his own pond. He just made his own pond, <laughs> and he plants weeping willows oh, and bamboo so and he just makes this beautiful place it's his own private garden weeping willows are the most they're so beautiful the trees. majestic trees
3: and a fun fact about this area or his gardens is that apparently he landscaped by like color and kind oh, of just like his own yeah. impulse rather than any sort of you know like actual gardening technique, bark, technique. Right, and right. And he didn't let... Here, he didn't, like, really um, trim things down or keep close tabs on them. He kind of let them grow Yeah,
1: naturally. like, overgrowth. Yeah. yeah he wanted very it to nice. be, I see like, that. this wild, like, with the little hidden bridge. Oh and he had God. a Japanese... <laughs> the, Jap- the Japanese garden very in at the time. Yeah. Okay, Japan is a big deal for the impressionism, japanese man. Especially mm-hmm. post-Impressionism. We'll talk yes. about this later. He made his own garden, and uh, it was beautiful. And sure enough, there were water lilies. And he starts to paint this series of water lilies. Mm-hmm. And the water lilies are just what Monet is just known for. Yeah. Just, they're giant, okay? If you ever get to see them, they're just huge. He, there's a great picture in this book, um, The Lost World of the Impressionists, so he conceived of this project as a never-ending hole that would envelop visitors. So you go into this room at the Musée de l'Orangerie ah. <laughs> <laughs> the <Orangerie. laughs> near the Louvre. And it's just this white room. There's like a series. There's like benches in the middle. And it his water lilies just like envelop the entire room. Um, there's a curved one. So the room is, like, an oval because he didn't use, like, a flat canvas. He used, like, long, like, stretched out canvas. And, um, yeah, that's the picture. So there's a picture of him in his studio. Cool. He is... Oh, he's so cute. He's got this giant... He's got this huge beard. He's got this giant palette. (laughs) There's just a fancy, like, comfy-looking couch in the middle. And he... These are... The painting is like dwarfing him. They're huge. It's at this moment that Monet really just starts to do something different. And at this point, he's really just destroying form with color. And, And many people look at these series of paintings and attribute it as a precursor to modernism. So Monet, it's safe to say lived out the rest of his years happily and in Giverny. And I just like to believe that he just had a good old time, grew out his beard really long, (laughs) was taking strolls every day in his Japanese garden with Alice and was just having such a nice time. I would love to have my own garden. Right? Mm -hmm. The same cannot be said for many of the other impressions. (laughs) It's kind of sad. Yeah, a lot of them just uh, got real old and died alone. Look up Mr. Alfred. Sisley. Sisley. Alfred Sisley. His life was real sad. He got paralyzed for some reason. I think he spent too much time outdoors is what the book said. What? <laughs> he just got like like sick and people like polio or I don't
0: something? know
1: he just it, they call it rheumatism and he just yeah. died and Degas was going blind and he was just angry and didn't want mm. anyone to go yeah. near his studio people were buying his work but they didn't get it and he was angry and so he died angry and alone Cezanne died just real broke anecdote he got invited to Monet's beautiful house in Giverny that was, like, frequented by famous people. Like, yeah. the president went there and yeah. hung out with him. Cezanne was so overwhelmed by his friend's success that Aww. he was in tears. And, like, he, he died later on. <laughs> Red died, <laughs> <Ra laughs> died. As he was dying, he asked if he could be brought his easel and his palette and his paintbrushes so bummer times yeah the impressionists they just sort of faded away and um much like an impression oh Mm. oh man so sad sad but we're not gonna wrap it up on a sad note we're gonna wrap it up on a positive note have some listener mail. Listener mail listener mail
2: So this one comes to us from an anonymous babe on Tumblr, but it's super cute. I love your podcast so much. My boyfriend lives about an hour and a half from me, and I drive down normally twice a week or so. While I drive, I always listen to you girls, and it puts me in the best mood. The most recent time, I got into town, and his sister pointed out some cherubs on the ceiling of the little Italian restaurant uh, we were oh in. Oh no,
0: girl! <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks to y'all, I was able to not only correct her but tell her all about pooty Now my boyfriend calls me puto,
1: oh and God. I love it. <laughs>
2: continue being babes.
0: How cute is that?
1: That is cute. That's adorable. You can call
0: him Puto, too. Technically... They're the puto are only boys, which is super dumb. It doesn't matter, but though. But it doesn't matter at all, because you embody the puto if spirit. If you're living
1: anywhere around, like, Los Angeles, though, you probably don't want to be calling your boyfriend oh, puto on so <laughs> the streets, <laughs> because some cholos are going Rob to lematic. laugh at him. But, um, anyway, you can look that but up. The
0: magic of the puti lives on. You mm-hmm. mm-hmm. sweet, sweet baby Thank angel. you so much. <laughs> yeah, that's <is> so great. <laughs> that's
1: such a sweet That episode mail. seems
0: also, like, such a long time ago. I it wasn't know. actually that long ago, but I'm like, whoa! Weird Pooty was a lifetime ago. That was a man. fun one. We
2: should do another one like Weird
1: Pooty, where we just yeah. pick out like weird, an interesting, ugly babies.
0: weird babies. Ugly yeah. babies. Oh, we, yeah. said weird we, were, we said we were we
1: said we were gonna do ugly babies. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if we do ugly Jesus, we're gonna be yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> in trouble. Like, yeah. like, like,
0: ugly yeah. baby Jesus. Most of them were Jesus. To be fair, he yeah.
3: Was
2: the only baby pan for people. A like, let's be real. People really struggled. With babies for a long time, and they were trying to paint baby Jesus, and they they had no models. They just didn't know what to do. I mean, are are you you telling me they
1: they couldn't just grab a baby and paint a baby? Dude, even Da Vinci's babies were
0: like fucked up and that's saying babies law. have
1: weird proportions <laughs> damn
0: that's what makes them so
2: cute is they're disproportionate if yeah. i
1: try to draw a baby they're like I'd, I'd probably <laughs> <laughs> fuck exactly up. yeah oh. yeah Whoa. disproportion yes. is cute i yeah, don't yeah, understand yeah. it but it's a real thing oh it's like a whole evolutionary thing <laughs> <laughs> they make they make babies cute so that we like feed yeah. them and <laughs> don't kill them yeah no Yes, that's that's real. That's a real thing. TED Talk. Yeah. I watched the same one. Yeah. So babies are cute so that you don't kill them, huh? Okay. <laughs> They are damn cute, though. I love me a good baby. <laughs> look, look forward <laughs> to an ugly baby episode. There's, we'll do it, no, especially from like out. Renaissance period. Oh that's man, some gold. Mines. There's, I mean, ugly Byzantine babes. Oh, oh. oh Byzantine babies. Yeah. They literally look just like small old men. Yeah, like that yeah. are just like holding on to Virgin Mary, like. Like, get out of here, dude. <laughs> like, a,
0: like a rigid hand. Yeah. yeah
1: that's when there's, like, one boob out, and he's just Oh, like, yeah. yeah.
2: And the <laughs> boobs are all fucked up, too. Of
1: course. They're, like, not
2: natural at all. They're, like, super no. rounded. Yeah, like. and, like,
1: where's the areola? Like, the, that exists. <laughs> they didn't know. Oh. They had no idea. They'd they had never seen didn't. a novel. They were
2: doing their best. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Good.
2: Alright,
1: um, alright.
2: But... Yeah, on that note, thanks for listening to our episode about Impressionism. If you like us, go to our website, arthistorybabes.com. If you really like us and want to do us a huge solid, you can go to patreon.com slash arthistorybabes and donate us some spare change and we'll love you forever. Whatever you got. Whatever you got. Like, we really appreciate it. Also, we are on Instagram at art History babes podcast, Twitter at art History babes, and we're on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes. Write us a review on iTunes.
1: That's a good one. All
2: of those things you can do mm-hmm. are fantastic, and we, yeah, we love everyone who does them. So thank you so much for your support. Y'all are great. We
1: appreciate you. We, we
0: do. We do. We really do. From Cabernet to
1: Moe That's, that's the Maybe devil. Maybe Olympia was a witch. <laughs> that is the devil. That's the devil.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God.
2: The Art History Babes podcast is made possible by support from our lovely listeners via Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash art history babes to help keep the art history babes going and for access to bonus content.